Hi, I'm Case Lowe, co-host of the Open the Voice Gate podcast. The one question I'm constantly asked when it comes to Dragon Gate is how do I get into the promotion? Well, stop asking and start listening to the Open the Voice Gate podcast released every Wednesday on the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. For exclusive news and show reviews, look no further than the leader in Dragon Gate coverage, Open the Voice Gate. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungy here on the Voices of Wrestling in Podcasting Network. My name is Tyler Fornis, and Fred, this is a wonderful day because we don't have to talk about Larry the Dog. Yeah, this is Fred Moreland. I am so glad that we're done with the major drama of the summer of AEW, and we can just move on to talking about the show some, although uh, I may soon regret this because there really wasn't a lot of news this past week, so. <laughs> and we'll end up probably spending 45 minutes talking about news stuff. Let's kind of start off with the, the brawl out drama because we don't have anything specifically stemming from the drama except projecting forward. Um, this was interesting, something that you found this morning, Fred. The Young Bucks have copyrighted the Wayward Sons. And when they first had that vignette appear a couple weeks ago on Dynamite, uh, we hypothesized in this space about the fact that maybe they're not coming back as the elite and they're coming back as something else. And this brings a little bit of credence to that. I don't know what the wayward sons are going to be. If they're going to be completely separate from the elite, if they're going to be a whole new act, or if this is just like a moniker, like triple H is the game. And then he came up with the King of Kings, but in all essence, it's the same character. So I thought that was really interesting and it was worth noting that they were also backstage on dynamite this past week. And we saw some uh, furthering of those vignettes as well. Uh, what do you take with this Wayward Sons thing, Fred? Uh, I don't know. Um, I'm kind of trying to think of what the worst possible uh, outcome for it to be. And I've stumbled upon uh, Disciples of Apocalypse ripoff. Or if they're a Kansas cover band. That too, yes. Uh, after all, all they are in these vignettes is dust in the wind. Um <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, I you know, it'll be interesting to see. I could see again. I can't really imagine them with like different gimmicks, you know, like coming in. I don't know, even under a mask or some bullshit like that. Like long term, like Los uh, Bucks Day uh, Jovenes. Um, I don't know what Bucks is uh, in Spanish, but like. You know, it'll be interesting to see if it'll give them a new edge to the characters because it felt like they had already kind of run through what they could do as far as just being the Young Bucks, both as faces and heels in the first uh, two and a half years or so of AEW, three years, I guess. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Like, how do you think it's going to play out? I, I think we're getting some variation of the Young Bucks characters, and I'm very excited about it. I thought that from the, the beginning... Um, ever since we got that, that the elite were not going to be coming back as the elite and it was going to be some kind of fracture in who they are, what their characters are. And we all know how much they love the melodrama. That's very well known at this point. 
I think that they're going to have to work their way back to calling themselves the elite. And I think this is another step towards that. I really don't know how it's going to play out specifically, but this tells me they're not going to be the elite right away when they come back. And quite frankly, that, that has me excited. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be different. Uh, and uh, hopefully a good different. I think it probably will be. Um, but it's always going to be able to at least tweak your character and uh, hopefully we'll get some interesting things out of it. Oh, I would love some interesting things, Fred, because what's nice about interesting things is we do not have to talk about Larry the dog. And I am speaking of uh, interesting things, last dynamite. Oh, yeah, no joke. And we're going to get to that. Yeah. Um, a couple more things. Something else you found this morning, Fred. MJF was cast in the Iron Claw, which is the movie about the Von Erics, um, as Lance Von Erich, the fake one. And I think that could be very interesting. Have you seen Zach Efron and oh, how, buddy. how he looks for that movie? He, he looks, looks jacked and a bowl cut. He looks like a professional wrestler. Like, he does. He's great. Specifically a 80s professional wrestler. I have a, a cat demanding attention. My apologies for the uh, yowering on, uh, in the background. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I'm hoping this will be a good movie. And I think MJF will be a good addition to the cast. Now, if you're not familiar with Lance Vaughn Eric... Uh, the little bit I do know about him uh, is basically that uh, I think it was after uh, the deaths of David and Mike um, that they wanted to uh, beef up the Von Eric ranks in uh, world class in Texas. And so they got a guy who I guess kind of looked like a Von Eric and were like, well, now you're Lance Von Eric. And he was around for a couple years. I don't think he ever really, from what I've read, I, I haven't watched that much world class stuff, which is a me problem. Uh, but my understanding is it didn't really work out that well. And after a couple of years, he uh, went to Fritz von Erich and said, hey, I need more money and uh, didn't get it, left. And then after he left, uh, uh, Fritz von Erich went on TV and buried him for being a fake von Erich, which is kind of hilarious because the person who made him a fake von Erich is, was Fritz von Erich. So <laughs> just really weird territory story of sorts. Um I think MGF could be really good in that role. Um, I honestly think there's a chance that maybe the biggest threat to him being around for AEW long-term is not so much WWE as Hollywood, but um, I could see him having success as an actor, though I guess we'll see. Um, but cool news all the same. Oh, absolutely. Anytime somebody gets an opportunity in Hollywood, it, one, helps build the profile of the company, two, helps build their own profile, and three, this is basically acting with athletes. Like you're you're putting on a performance. And it's obviously much different from just being a, a traditional actor, but it helps all all in the same it's in the same bubble. Like this is the one of the reasons WWE calls it sports entertainment is because it's entertainment with a sports element. Because wrestling is based on real sports, you're doing actual athletic maneuvers. And but you're still putting on a show. You're still acting like the promos characters. Like I think this is an objectively good thing. Um, I don't know if MJF will necessarily leave wrestling at this point, even if he were offered a lot of big bucks, because he he is a nerd like us. He wants to be the best ever, and he is driven to be the best ever. And I don't know that everybody has a price, but I don't know if that dollar amount is going to be high enough for what Hollywood will be giving him for him to leave this at this age when he is on the come up and potentially making himself into one of the biggest stars this country has ever seen. Obviously that's a little hyperbole at this point because we don't know what the future holds for MJF, 
but on the trajectory that he's on and how great he already is, he's got a connection with the crowd and he's already getting comparisons to the rock. I don't think it's absurd to think that he could rise to a level that is mostly unprecedented. Fully agree. Fully agree. All right, let's keep going on with the news here, Fred. House shows. Um, we're going to talk a lot about Double J, who always wins. But um, the interesting part from a non-wrestling perspective is he was added to the office. And the idea of adding him to the office seems to be house shows are in the future of AEW. And I think that's an objectively good thing. One, you need more in-ring time for a lot of people. This is where Jade Cargill should go on the house loop circuit, wrestle every single weekend once or twice and boom there you go that is how you get her more experience you have a lot of people on this roster who could thrive by getting a lot more experience and i think this could be an objectively good thing now the interesting thing about adding house shows is how how is that factored into these guys contracts how much more money are they going to need to get because they're not they don't already have house shows they have dark dark elevation but those are uh, dark is taped in bulk in Florida and elevation is taped before every dynamite or rampage. So I'm very intrigued to see how this all plays out. Yeah, I think it's uh it will definitely be a good thing for the talent as far as development is concerned. Now, the one downside of it for uh, Tony Khan is it's probably not going to make a money. Uh, of course, you know, uh, I, that has to be part of the analysis, but at the same time, I don't care. <laughs> He's a billionaire. He'll be all right. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that, you know, Dave, Dave uh, likes to talk, Dave Meltzer likes to talk about how house shows aren't a money-making thing and how he doesn't think AEW will make as much money running Ring of Honor pay-per-views as they will doing uh, doing AEW pay-per-views with the branding. Mm-hmm. I think that that's kind of missing the forest for the trees. Yeah. I think uh, AEW needs to start developing their younger talent that are not yet main eventers to get them to the point where they could be or to at least figure out what they have. And the best way to do that is by having them work, obviously. Um, so you've got, you know, issues like uh, private party, just kind of floundering uh, and you could go up and down the roster. Ricky Starks could be doing more. Miro could be doing more, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and some of these cases obviously aren't so much as can they develop as, you know, just can they get the exposure they need? Uh, but if you're going to lose money with house shows, you don't need to look at it as so much a, a bad business move. It, my mindset with it would be to look at it as a developmental cost. Baseball teams don't make money off of minor league teams. You know, those hope to basically break even or make a little profit every year at best. Uh, but if you're the New York Yankees, you don't care if your double-A team is what's making money. You want the players in double-A to get better so they can eventually make you big money up in the majors. So, you know, I, I think that the the accounting and, you know, some of the analysis is backwards, that it's not so much a, a business loss as a business investment. And I think that's something that AEW has been missing to date. Um, and if they can't get their guys to go work um, – on the indies regularly, which apparently they haven't really been trying to do, then they better set up their own house shows to try to help move things along. Yeah. I I think house shows could be really good in helping build up the product because one of the tough parts about AEW, Fred, as we've uh, talked about, they haven't really hit a lot of markets yet and they've oversaturated some others, Chicago, 
um, the Northeast, uh, Jacksonville. And Jacksonville, obviously, was pandemic-related. But they've overhit those markets, and they haven't really touched on markets like the Northwest, the Southwest. Hell, oh, they've only been to, like, one area in Texas. Like, they have different areas where they can hit. And a house show loop could do a really good job of connecting with those crowds. Like, you go, let's say you go to Utah for the first time, all right? Actually, I think they've already been in Utah, but let's use them as an example anyways. Say you go to Salt Lake City. Uh, you do a big house show with a re- really nice main event. Maybe you draw 8,000 people because it's the first time AEW's ever come to this territory. And all of a sudden, hey, you put on a good show, builds up some goodwill. Hey, now you can bring a TV taping there. And then, hey, you do 10,000. I think it could be really good exposure. And at least when you hit markets that haven't been tapped before, you might be able to expect slightly larger houses than you normally would because the product's never been there. Yeah, definitely. And, and there's something to be said. It's funny you mentioned Salt Lake City, actually, because that's the last place they went to before the pandemic. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, they were actually in Salt Lake City doing the show while like the NBA shut down. Um, also involving, well, the Utah Jazz of Salt Lake City. Uh, but yeah, like, I'm not... Okay, here's one thing that WWE does, I know, because I live somewhat near it, uh, relatively speaking, is that at least once a year, and they've started doing this again uh, post-pandemic, is there's a small town in Kentucky called Corbin. It's about halfway between Lexington, Kentucky, and Knoxville, Tennessee. Its population is under 10,000. Yep. It is tiny. It's most notable for being the birthplace of KFC. Don't go there for the first KFC. Everything I've heard is that it's really not well kept up. Um, but they will go there at least once a year, if not twice, to run a house show. Because I guess it draws well enough for them. I'm definitely not going to campaign for them to go to Corbin, uh, AEW to go to Corbin once a year or something. But hitting smaller markets can help draw in, you know, could potentially draw in more money from, you know, parts of the country that can't make it to Chicago or New York or DC, but can make it to uh, insert mid-level city here, Chattanooga, Tennessee, for example, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like, like you said, going into a market for the first time could be beneficial. The thing they want to weigh, of course, is there's probably going to be more of a first-time boost for a TV taping or a pay-per-view. So being able to weigh those two things will be important. But, you know, I think there's definite value in going to smaller but still fairly significant cities. Yeah, and I remember I lived in Fargo, North Dakota for seven years. WWE would usually do at least one house show at the Fargo Dome, and they'd sell a lot of tickets because you'd have to drive at least – three and a half hours in order to go see like a live taping. I remember I drove down to see a SmackDown taping in 2017 where Randy Orton burned down sister Abigail's house. Like that, like that. But when you live in like these areas where you don't have a, like a major city, house shows are the big deal because you don't get a lot of live entertainment coming to there in this kind of medium. Um, And I think that could be a really good benefit. And like you said, and we talked about it. You got to get some of these younger guys' talent, you know, guys and gals. Yeah. Jade Cargill could be a good professional wrestler. She's a, she's a great example. Yeah. Uh, she's she not needs... a good professional wrestler right now. And, and you don't want to have her on TV doing like 15-minute matches that stink because that's going to take away from her aura. You can have her do a house show 15-minute match, and if it stinks, well, it's just the local you know, market in 
Chattanooga or whatever that sees it and goes, oh, that's that was rough. And hopefully after a few of those, she'll get better at it. Then you can put her on TV and she'll be good. But, you know, it's not just like working matches. It's working different styles and matches with different uh, expectations. And being able to ha have those experiences can really be beneficial to you as a pro wrestler. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's let's keep moving on here. Hey, guess what, Fred? We got more word that Bandito has signed. Um, I I want to. I don't like. It's great that we keep hearing he's signed. I want tangible proof. Uh, was it Bram that signed an annual deal with TNA every like three months or something? Yeah, um, that was just bizarre. Um, reminded me of that. Yeah, I think that it was in the Observer Newsletter this week that Bandito has actually signed after a few weeks of people saying, oh, I think he signed, but he hasn't officially announced it yet or whatever. Um, obviously a great addition for AW. I don't have much to do to add to this. I just think it's funny that it's just kind of dragged out this long. That's all. Yeah, it. I think that's a really good way to put it. It's, it's funny. Like, it, we just keep hearing time in and time out that like we're getting a lot of like rumors about it like just give me some proof give me something tangible that i can take back but in the meantime hey he hasn't signed with the fed so let's take that as a win um what was interesting is there was no buddy matthews in the house of black video now i want to contend this a little bit fred because i thought there was a, a shot of buddy matthews um but it was like a profile shot. Oh, okay. Long. I may have missed that then. Um, I will fully admit to just kind of being like, oh, it's a House of Black video. My eyes are crossing right now. <laughs> kind of <laughs> mindset when it came on. Um, but uh, according to the newsletter, the Observer newsletter this week, there's nobody Matthews in it. Uh, that may have been erroneous. Um, just something, I guess, to keep an eye on. If he wasn't, if he was, then it's absolutely nothing. Yeah, and you know what? Even if he wasn't, it still could be absolutely nothing because Buddy Matthews does reside, I believe, still in Australia, and he may just be taking his time off back home, and they didn't want to fly him over for one vignette. Right, so, exactly. Yeah, but if the Observer reported it, then let's leave that as quote-unquote gospel, I guess you could say, because eh, I'm, I'm probably wrong. Um, also in the newsletter, uh, Meltzer reported Ricky Starks had been kept out of the ring for quote unquote something not wrestling related, I'm it's that's very ominous, Fred. Do you think it's potentially still an injury related thing, or if it's maybe contract? I don't get the feeling that it was anything serious. I wonder if maybe he the, the vibe I got if got off it was either there was like a family illness, I don't know, something like that, perhaps. Uh, or maybe he had like a TV taping kind of deal, like a like a role in a TV show like Miro did. Uh, I don't know. It's really not clear at all. Uh, Dave went fully vague on it. I haven't heard anything anywhere else. Not like I'm a real insider, but I just haven't caught another bit of news on it. Um, but he, he looked great when he cut the promo on Rampage. He looked perfectly healthy. So hopefully he is just back full time and in the ring. No, I 100% I agree. Ricky Starks has a lot of potential. Like, I would even say he's got world champion potential with his charisma, his ability to connect with the crowd. And he's a good in-ring worker. That's only improving. Yeah, I think, you know, we've talked about this before. I gush over him. I think he has 
all the parts you need to be a, a superstar, and I think he will be eventually. Yeah, and it's only going to be a matter of time. Um, Matt Shivani, who is the son of Tony, has been hired on as a producer. Um, I don't really think there's much really to talk about here. He's that it sounds like it could be a potential nepotism hire, but I mean, the, the, like, welcome to wrestling, baby. Yep, like. <laughs> It is what it is. Um, and then uh, FTR versus Aussie Open for the IWGP Tag Team titles is being uh, set up and projected out for Tokyo Dome, Wrestle Kingdom 1-4, which, let me tell you, if they match that uh, Royal Quest match, who, buddy, that's going to yeah. be a hell of a Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah. The question would be on Wrestle Kingdom, would they get time? Because uh, New Japan, when they book the Wrestle Kingdom shows, especially now that it's back to just one rather than two, uh, likes to kind of keep the mid-card matches short. So hopefully we don't have a circumstance where we're all getting excited about FDR versus Aussie Open and then whoops, it ends after nine minutes and 12 seconds or something. Um, but if they get 20 minutes, you know, around there it'll be a damn good match and a highlight of the show for sure. No, a hundred percent. Fred, we got lucky. That's, that's it for the news today. Light week. Very light week. We only spent 20 minutes on it when we buried Ariel Hawani for 25, just a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Um, what a jabroni. Uh, yeah, other news uh, note is that the new AEW spectrum card set has come out Ooh. and I have purchased a box. I already opened it cause I'm a, I'm a jerk. <laughs> but um, it would have been good on air material. And then I was like, oh, I already opened it. That So much for that. Um, but, you know, they look pretty nice. They're the thicker kind of collectible cards. Um, okay. So I got a, a Lee Johnson base card, which will definitely bring me in millions. Um, but uh, you get one autograph per box. It's like 200 bucks. The upper deck really likes to upcharge for their cards. Uh, but I did pull a nice Adam Page autograph uh, ah. relic out of my numbered one out of 20. So the old eBay one out of one, which is no. insane. Number one. That number hey, you one. know what? That could be worth something someday. Make sure you get that um like appraised and get yeah. that 10 out of Rated. 10. Um, also, one uh, apparently they're doing these little spectrum chair shot inserts, which are like it, it feels like a, a metal card shaped like a steel chair, which is very funny. Um, I'm an adult. Um, yeah, just had to get that shit in there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, as you brag about that, let's talk about these shows. Um, Dynamite's rating 911,000.29 in the 18 to 49 demo. I thought this was pretty good considering they were going against up the World Series. And it ended up being a very good World Series between the Phillies and the Astros. Like, I, I think it's objectively fine. Um, unless we get something weird with the election because we're recording uh, Tuesday afternoon. If we get something weird with the election tonight, that ends up um, extending out and, like, drawing out. Because, like, obviously we had that a couple years ago when uh, Joe Biden defeated Donald Trump. Things extended out a few days. Um Less likely with midterms, but that could impact the rating on Wednesday. And that will be something to keep an eye on. But overall, I thought this was a good rating for Dynamite. Yeah, it was up against Game 4 of the World Series, which was not just a, uh, a World Series game, but it, the no-hitter that the uh, combined no-hitter that the Astros threw. Um, just the second no-hitter in World Series history. 
Uh, but yeah, I, I think that's, you know, you've got to be pretty happy with that number you, with uh, the level of competition you would have had to have expected dip. And, you know, that's what happened. I think it's still a good number considering all the factors. And uh, yeah. No, uh, 100%. Um, Rampage got a, saw a little bit of a spike from Mike Tyson and Katsuyuri Shibata. Um, they were up 24% overall. Um, 455,000.14 in the demo. Um, look, uh, best demo in, in the last month, essentially. So I'll take that as a win. Yeah. Uh, again, uh, nothing to be, uh, sour about. Uh, I think that, um, they definitely got a boost from Tyson and the, the Shibata Cassidy match. They pushed, uh, relatively hard. Um, if you look at the ratings, um, overall, it's about, I'd say roughly the median. Um, actually, in fact, uh, for the past 10 weeks, it is like 1000 below the average of those 10 weeks. Um, and the demo is actually at the average as well. So I would say that they pulled themselves up from a really bad number a week ago, unless there was some competition there that I'm forgetting. And, um, oh, that was actually against game one of the world series. So I wouldn't be too down on that number then, but yeah, I mean, I think AW's numbers are a uh, television numbers are very steady right now. Um, I think I've said this for like the sixth straight week, probably. Um, but there's definitely no signs of either like a massive bump in growth or a fall off in popularity. They've just been living here and, uh, all things considered that's solid. hundred percent. Uh, now let's jump into the show. Fred, <laughs> what did you think of this dynamite? It was a weird as hell dynamite, man. Um, so, you know, weird isn't always bad. Um, weird isn't always good though. Uh, I will say that you know, there's a lot of discourse about Jeff Jarrett. Uh, the one thing I want to start off with, though, is the the awful, I mean, the the, the horrid reaction to Cole Carter on uh, as the masked guy, the the guy from Darby Allen's past. Uh, complete silence when he pulled off the sting mask. It was, I mean, as weird and as divisive as Jeff Jarrett was as a debut minutes after that, that at least saved the segment from just an all-time, like a butcher and the blade kind of moment. Like there's a guy that no one would know and ending the segment on that. They fortunately did not do that. So it doesn't seem as bad, but there was like a 60 or 30 second period where they just focused on Cole Carter and it didn't get over because nobody knew who he was. Yeah. Um, I don't necessarily follow independent wrestling as much as most people, but to my knowledge, they don't really have any kind of connection on the independent scene, which I I'm waiting for AEW to tell me why this matters. Um, and sometimes it's so blatant and sometimes it doesn't matter. Like, um, the little things um, between like, let's talk about CM Punk and MJF, like him coming out to Miseria Cantari by AFI wearing the old school basketball shorts. Like that was tremendous. It hit old fans, like ROH fans from the heyday, like in new fans, like, okay, he's, he's doing a new entrance. He's kind of taking this seriously. He's got that look in his eye. MJF is kind of like cowering in the corner. Like you can, pick up little things without knowing the big picture. And I'm wondering because of how they've really booked everything that throughout here, Fred, if 
they know something or if they have something that they're going to tell us that is going to at least tie this all in. Like yeah, sometimes they've, you don't they've got work it. to do. Yeah. Oh, they got work to do. Um, <laughs> but sometimes they don't tell us and it doesn't matter. And those who know or in the know can just enjoy it even more, which is kind of a cool little Easter egg. Other times they, they have to straight up tell us. And I, this is one of those. And I'm very curious to see where it lands. Yeah, I'm going through uh, Cole Carter's uh, cage match page of matches, and Darby Allen isn't on there at all. Um, I, I don't know like what they're building off of, you know, what the whole idea is, but I guess we'll see. Um, I don't know. It was very, just very awkward because uh, he did the whole "I'm posing for the big reaction" thing, and there just was not a reaction at all. So. Yeah, um, but the match itself was pretty good. Uh, mm-hmm. Darby and Jay uh, went back and forth. It was, look, as boring as Jay Lethal might be, one of the nice parts about Lethal is he's a he's a professional wrestler. And yeah, he's perfectly get, solid. Yeah, you're going to get good work out of him every time. Are you ever going to get anything great at this point in his career? Probably not. You're not getting peak black machismo from uh, TNA, but you're going to get solid work and the lethal injection is arguably the coolest finishing move of all time and he still hits it with perfection like there is no way that a guy that looks like that being like he is he's not a slim guy anymore he is very muscular in the upper body like he is he's getting beefy that should be able to springboard with his do that handspring that well and hit the move that crisp and clean in in his early 40s it's Honestly, incredibly impressive, and I love watching it. And Darby took it like an absolute champ. Um, and then you obviously got the Jeff Jarrett reveal, which look, everybody in this network says it. Jeff Jarrett always wins, and he is now with it feels like his like sixth or seventh company in the past two years. He's been with AAA, WWE, like GCW, New Japan. Like he's done everything everything and now it feels like he might be here to stay yeah um i don't know how i feel about it on screen i think that his promo is actually good as much as i i I, i'm coming into this not wanting to see jeff Jarrett uh wrestle like i just can't really build myself up to that right now uh for whatever reason i think maybe the reigns of terror and tna uh earlier this deck or this century because we're old um but I, I, you know, I thought the promo was good. Um, the visual of him absolutely killing Darby uh, with the guitar shot worked. Although I, you know, if if we never saw another guitar shot, that would be okay. I would actually move for that to be the last one because go out on a high note, man. I mean, that one went really well. Let's just, you know, move on. But I, I imagine we're setting up for Darby and Sting against uh, maybe Lethal and Jarrett. Um, but I know that Jared's, you know, talking to build up the Ric Flair last match was very well received by people that followed it. Uh, the guy can still cut a promo. Uh, it's just a matter of slotting him correctly on screen and making sure that it's not somehow going to be main event player Jeff Jared in his 50s or however old he is now. Look, we got a guitar shout. We got My World on AEW television. That's Look, right. Great that- theme, terrible song. <laughs> Look, it's it that the intro of this that bam 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 bam. Look, tremendous stuff. It instantly gets me to hate his guts because I still 
I still remember, like, I was a new wrestling fan when, like, during the Jeff Jarrett, like, peak title run where he beat Jeff Hardy, like, four times in the span of a year for that title. Like, hating him so much. And he buried Monty Brown. And then when AJ Styles beat him for the title one month after that great cage match against Abyss at lockdown, like, whenever you hear that intro, I just think, I effing hate this guy. (laughs) And I, I I still do a little bit, but... It's it's fun now because Jeff Jarrett has evolved into almost like a mythical figure rather than just a professional wrestler because of how his career path has really evolved since he left uh, TNA. Yeah, like there's no logical reason to actually expect him to be pushed as a top guy, as a heavy main event or anything. But it's just I'm so conditioned at this point to expect that to happen with him. <laughs> that that's where my mind instantly went uh i i think that if it's done appropriately it could actually be very fun um mm-hmm. i just hope he does i you know maybe three matches a year tops for Jarrett would be all right you still could throw a hell of a punch too which is oh, yeah. uh which is nice absolutely i i think jared and sting obviously have a history if they play off of that i think this could be something really fun and it's something to keep darby involved in a main story while keeping him away from the TNT title, because we don't need to see him continue to lose to Wardlow. Like, yeah. keep him away from that title for now. Maybe get him involved with the All-Atlantic here down the line. But I think this is a really good thing for Darby to be involved in a prominent story that keeps him away from titles. Um, yeah. Now, for the match, I wasn't that crazy about it. I only went three stars, but there were several cool spots that happened. Like, I love Darby doing the tope to Satnam Singh and just bouncing off him. Mm-hmm. Like, that was fantastic and with darby just completely going limp it was that was a great moment there was a german suplex uh on darby on the apron which was scary as hell um so we still got our requisite scary darby bumps in this match it's darby you're gonna have those oh yeah um, like i i i gave it three and a quarter it was a good wrestling match yeah, right? there was nothing wrong with it yeah you really can't complain about it um after this we had the aw world championship eliminator match uh john moxley versus lee moriarty Look, this was fine. Um, I think that they have something more in them, but this was obviously a vessel um, to get to Ethan Page and building him up for the um, the Winter is Coming uh, title match because they're going to have that uh, that tournament go on before full gear. The finals will be at full gear, and I expect Ethan Page to win. And I think this is kind of the beginning. Look, this company doesn't have heels. They're We talked about it last week. They're going to give Ethan Page a shot, and... Look, could it work? Sure. Is it going to? Probably not. But they we'll have see. to try something. Yeah. And, and this is what they're trying. And I'm very intrigued to see if he can have a good match with somebody not named Darby. Yeah. Uh, it, there's a lot of pressure, I think, on Ethan Page. Because if this doesn't work, then I don't know what's left for him, at least as a major guy at AEW. Um, I like this match a decent bit. I went three and three quarters. Uh, I really like Lee Moriarty. Uh, he's very impressive in the ring. I like he he has this different kind of technical approach that you don't see very much of that I like. And I thought he and Moxley really worked well together. Um, funny note during the match is this was being held in Baltimore. And, of course, uh, the quarterback of the NFL team there, the Ravens, Lamar Jackson came into the building in the middle of this match, leading to loud chance of MVP. Um, commentary tried to cover for it. Uh, was it Taz or Excalibur? I forget who. That was like, yeah. Uh, uh, Moxley is the MVP of this company, and then someone else, I think maybe Shivani on commentary, was like, Ah, oh, that's actually because Lamar Jackson's in. 
but just kind of disrupted the show for a couple minutes there, which was pretty funny, and then led to a good Chris Jericho moment. Yeah, hey, listen, uh, give me more Lamar Jackson on TV. And that was just another one of the oddities on this show. And we're going to talk about another really major oddity here in a little bit. Um, I thought this was interesting because um, Renee Pacquiao was supposed to sit down with Dr. Britt Baker and Soraya at the same time. But Baker didn't show up, and we found out why later when she appeared with Tony Schiavone and Jamie Hader saying only Tony interviews her, which I thought was a really nice touch considering how their relationship has been over the course of AEW's tenure. Yeah. Um, but there was some interesting stuff. Um, Soraya uh, told Paquette, Baker doesn't care. She should be lucky she even had this interview. There's something special about AEW, and I wanted to be a part of it. Once timing came around, it was perfect, and I felt like I, I could give more to it. And she also said, I'm going to save an announcement for next week because there's one more doctor I'm going to consult on this. I thought this was really good from Soraya because – not only did she allude to, she came back because timing was perfect, which means she got cleared. Yeah. And then she's going to save it for next week because she wants to consult with a doctor. I think she's going to kick Baker's ass and announce a match for full gear. That, that's my prediction. Yeah, I think that's what uh, they were setting up as well. I am starting to turn around on this. I thought Soraya, she wasn't like a you know a all-time promo or anything in the segment, but it was solid. And, uh, ever, you know, ignoring the first week where she came in and it just was a poorly, poorly structured segment, I think uh, she has at least been doing her job. I can't say that she's really been amazing, but, you know, getting your job done is still getting your job done. No, 100%. Um, this will be interesting to see how it all goes down. Um, right after this, you had Tony Schiavone backstage with William Regal, not quite Britt Baker yet. Um Regal says you still have a long way to go uh, talking to MJF at full gear. All the potential world won't help you because the AW world champion, uh, when you have to face a real demon in John Moxley, look, I, the inclusion of William Regal, I think is fantastic because there's one real life history and two it's William Regal. He's, he's an ass kicker. And I think this element, uh, kind of the connective tissue between the two wrestlers, I think is great. Um, more of this, please. Yeah, it was a solid segment, and uh, I think uh, everyone did a good job. 100%. Um, next, we have the daddy-ass um, birthday bash. Look, this isn't for everybody. I had a lot of fun with this because it's all incredibly dumb and stupid. And look, I grew up in the age of dick jokes, like jackass, <laughs> like yeah. dumb humor I find incredibly funny when it's done well. And I think they did a great job. Um, obviously daddy ass, fingers were all taped up and he couldn't scissor. So they made foam scissors, which are probably going to sell like absolute hotcakes. Oh yeah. Um, they got a pair of scissors from a, a kid in the, um, in the stands. And then they presented it to Billy Gunn. And then they also gave uh, daddy ass a certificate of adoption. To adopt both of them and then that's when we get um the gun club coming out and william morrissey leveled um billy gun and we get a basically this ended up setting up an eight-man tag for next week which will be tomorrow um as as i pull up my notes it's going to be um swerve in our glory and the gun club versus the acclaimed and FTR, because FTR came out to save them. Look, I don't know what you thought about this, Fred. 
I thought this was a lot of fun. And it was incredibly stupid. But fun stupid. I thought it was completely fine. Uh, there was some fun stuff for sure. Uh, I thought it went a little too long. If they shaved maybe three minutes off the time, it would have like actually been a really good segment. But I enjoyed it enough. Uh, it wasn't like cringeworthy or anything. There were some good comments along the way. Uh, some good little references. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed them scrawling uh, haphazardly the DY so that the uh, trophy they had said best daddy. Um, you know, it was it was enjoyable uh, mm-hmm. and nothing to sneer at. Yeah. Uh, the crowd had a great time with it, and sometimes that's more important than, you know, the actual quality of the segment once in a while. Yeah. Um, there was one thing I hated about this, Fred, and we kind of talked about it in real time. I hated that there was a stare down between FTR and the acclaimed because I think that gives away completely the match um, at full gear that the acclaimed are going to beat Swerve in our glory. And you mentioned it to me. I think, I think we kind of already knew that, but now for me, any shadow of doubt is gone. And I think that's incredibly frustrating. Look, they, they could have done a better job here. They didn't have to have a stare down without swerving our glory, especially because FTR just lost to them last week. Like yeah. we're like, I hated it. And maybe I'm just reading too much into things. I, I don't think you should do that to your customers. And it bothered me. Yeah. There's probably a, a different way to handle it where you would have largely accomplished everything else, but not have the, uh, such a giveaway on a likely match result. Um, I thought that um, it was unfortunate, but not like the worst thing I've ever seen. And frankly, tomorrow they can just have a segment where FDR stares down with uh, Swerve in Our Glory. And, you know, I think that will probably help rectify it some. Yeah, you're probably right. But I was just very annoyed. Um, now is when we get the interview segment with Shivani and Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter. Um, and the line from Baker that I found was very interesting. Welcome to my interview on my time. We just want to wrestle. Find us a tag team to wrestle on Friday. Let's do it. And they ended up wrestling on Rampage against uh, Madison Rain and Sky Blue. Um, look, I, I think it's cool that Baker is utilizing the fact that she has that connection and relationship with Tony Schiavone. And use, and look, she's a heel. Yeah, She's climbing. I, I thought this was very well done. Yeah, I thought it was a solid segment as well, and I like the fact that they've kept continuity going with their relationship over the years. Yeah. All right. Now comes a time where we get some more CM Punk stuff as the Ocho Chris Jericho comes down to the ring with Jake Hager and ROH Pure Champion Dane Garcia to face a former ROH champion. And then you get the boom, boom, Colt Cabana music, and he comes out to a huge reaction. And you could tell Cabana was a little choked up. Um, I thought this was really well done. Um, you're obviously sticking it to Punk, and that pretty much signals. And we've we've heard r- rumors and reports that he's done with the company. Yeah, that's so been I th- for weeks now. Yep, I thought that this was well done, and um, I'll give all the credit to Joe Lanza, and I I completely agree to him. He said, like, you don't do this unless you have everything signed. Uh, Probably not. Yeah. Yeah. So that tells me. Um, that that at least theory tells me that this is a hundred percent done. I thought this was good. Um, you get essentially got a visual pin with uh, the Superman with Cole Cabana having Chris Jericho, but he was pulled out of the ring by Jake Hager, 
And Jericho wins with an ugly looking code breaker. I thought this this served its purpose, but the match could have been better. Yeah, uh, I thought the uh, the ancillary stuff like Cabana coming out and getting a great pop, considering how you know his relative lack of push over the years in AEW, especially after that first year, uh, it was pretty cool. Um, and you know, uh, I, I think Meltzer said that it was intended as a uh, reassurance to the locker room that Cabana was around and was part of their plans, uh, which sure. Uh, but as far as the on-screen product itself, what we got was kind of rough. Um, I, you know, the biggest botch of the match was the, I think the Chicago skyline is what he calls it, where he does the drop down from the top rope and would have done like a chest buster on Jericho using the top rope. Uh, but instead they both fell off the uh, top rope to the floor and luckily Daniel Garcia was, had his head on a swivel and was able to step in and kind of help break that up and make it maybe a little less less gnarly for the guys involved, but that could have been really ugly. Um, the code breaker at the end of the match was kind of uh, bad. Uh, I also think there was a moment right before the Skyline deal where uh, Cabana did like two clotheslines to Jericho while Jericho was on the ropes, and you would expect Jericho to take a bump over the top rope to the floor, but I kind of wonder if it was Cabana was doing, it was set up on the wrong side of the ring, because mm-hmm. on the opposite side of the ring was where the, the rest of the JAS was. And that was all shortly before the Skyline uh, botch. So I kind of wonder if they got, you know, just combobulated there and just were working on the wrong side of the ring for a moment. Um, I went one and three quarter stars on this. Like, it, I can't even say it was average. There was just too much ugliness in it. Um Which is very disappointing because I know that you put these two together again and they'd have a much better match with far fewer uh, ugly moments, but Mm -hmm. what we got was what we got. So, Hey, you know what? It shoved it into CM Punk's face. And I don't think anybody's going to complain about that. This is where things got really weird. Um, And we've already had weird. Um, We didn't even talk about Rick Ross appearing on the show. Oh yeah. I I can't remember after which segment it was. I think that's later in the show, but yeah. Yeah. uh, Rick Ross with Swerve, uh, Swerve Scott Strickland. Man, I, I cannot talk today. Um, and then they're just standing there talking with Keith Lee and more tension set up for the eventual turn of either Keith Lee or Swerve. And look, Rick Ross is already a top uh, 80th percentile promo in wrestling. Yeah, he's great. Uh, allegations. It was really irritating in that segment, and I hope he comes back. Me too. Um I thought it was interesting that he appeared at the Baltimore show because he's a Miami guy and you think that he might've appeared in a Miami show, but uh, maybe there's some connective tissue with him being in Baltimore or maybe even Lamar Jackson. Um, But either way, cool to see Rick Ross on, on camera and he did a great job. Next up was the all Atlantic championship match. Orange Cassidy defending against um, Ray Phoenix and Luchasaurus. Look, this was a lot this of was solid. Shit. Yeah, it I was a good that. match. Um, I thought I Jungle really Boys come. Look. I thought Jungle Boys comeback looked pretty good. Or Jack mm-hmm. Perry, I think they're mm-hmm. finally switching to that as a yeah, spring game, where he took out uh, uh, Luchasaurus at the top with the chair, and then um, basically did a cross body onto him through a table. Uh, yeah, good stuff. It works with the story because that's how he was taken out at all out. 
Mm-hmm. Like, awesome stuff. And then um, you basically had a one-on-one. Orange Cassidy hit Ray Phoenix with the orange punch, pinned him. And then Pac had the hammer down there. Phoenix did not Refused end up it. using it. Yep. yep. And he's, uh, Pac started beating up Orange Cassidy. And then you hear the music of Katsuyori Shibata. Um, and awesome. he's with Rocky Romero and the best friends. And I'm like, my my wife gets home at about 8, 10. And she's sitting there and she's talking to me. And then I like shut her up and be like, what in the world is going on? And I'm just like, Shibata? Yeah. And, and we ended up getting him signing a contract for the uh, All-Atlantic Dream Match in Atlantic City on Friday's Rampage. Um, and the crowd is in disbelief, and so is Pac, Excalibur said. And look, I don't really know if I would have dreamed to watch Orange Cassidy face Shibata, but I was excited. We got a real Shibata match. Yeah, it was really cool. Uh, and we'll talk about it a little bit when we get to Rampage. Um but yeah, that was a hell of a moment. That was the good weird that I was trying to refer to in contrast to some of the less good weird. Um, but I mean, you know, I, I don't want to jump the gun with discussing the match too much, but I thought this match, the three-way was very good. Three and three-quarter stars on it. Uh, I was kind of hoping for a little more from Phoenix. I think what we got was, you know, solid from him, but not like a all-time Phoenix performance. Uh, but yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. Um, then we had probably the worst segment I've seen on Dynamite in months. Jade Cargill defending the TBS title against oh, Mar- Marina Shafir. Look, oh. Marina Shafir is not a good enough television wrestler. Like she, One, there's that. Two, Jade Cargill's not either, but she is a star. You look at her and on her physique, her charisma, her facial expressions. Every, and whenever she talks, star. Like her wrestling, jabroni. Like, that's kind of where we're at with Jade, and it's not necessarily a slight on her. It's just kind of the way it is. And then, all of a sudden, you have Nyla Rose and Vicky Guerrero doing live commentary no, on the top that of the was ramp. Look, this was incredible. It was disgustingly bad, and I, I don't think we can really say more about that. Marina should not be on TV, and Jade needs to do the house show circuit to get some more experience because if she ever becomes a good in-ring performer – she could be one of the biggest stars in, in American wrestling because she's got that kind of charisma. The match itself, I would say, wasn't bad. Uh, I thought that the brawling on the outside looked all right. Uh, I thought the stuff in the ring was mostly fine. But the thing that really took this down for me, I mean, it was under five minutes. It was not a long match at all. But I think Nyla Rose is very witty. She's got one of the best Twitter accounts uh, in AEW until Twitter dies because of mismanagement. Um but the way they did this, and I think in particular, Vicky Guerrero, uh, you know, talking and really screeching over it was really unenjoyable. It wasn't there was it wasn't funny. The jokes they try to use weren't interesting. And you can argue, oh, well, they're heels. You're not supposed to like them. I mean, I don't think you're supposed to have a heel like look like a dork. And I think that's really what came off here. Uh, the camera missed uh, Nyla Rose punking out. I want to say Kira Hogan on their way out of the, you know, back through the ramp to backstage. That's I just didn't like this at all. Uh, I just was a poorly planned and laid out segment, like very bad. Yeah, very bad. That's about all. Hated it. To it. Yeah, um, Samoa Joe versus the Machine Brian Cage with Prince Nana, which I love the Prince Nanas in this company um, for the ROH World TV Championship. I thought this was good. 
Yeah. Two big beefy boys doing beefy boy shit, and you get the wild spots from Brian Cage. I thought this was a four star match. I went three and three quarter, uh, four. Nothing wrong with that rating. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed this. I, I, I coming away from this dynamite, I thought there were a couple of bad segments. Uh, the Jericho Cabana one was bad because of the botches, and the night, the well, I guess the Jake Cargill Marina Shafir one was mainly because of just really poor layout. Um, but I thought you know this might have been the best match on the show. I think the show really liked like an all time great match, or not even an all time great one, but just a great one. Just one you'd be like, yeah, that was a, a really, really good match uh, walking away from. And this is about the closest we got, I thought. Yeah, it's it was a very weird in-ring episode for Dynamite, but it advanced a lot of storylines. And I thought the, the important thing was here, the Gates of Agony, um, who are also members of the Embassy of Taximojo, and you get Wardlow coming out to save the day when he's ambushed by Powerhouse Hobbs, who gave him a massive spine buster. And Wardlow sold it like death while Hobbs holds up the TNT championship. And we are looking at a powerhouse Hobbs Wardlow match, which the way they've built powerhouse Hobbs in recent weeks, I think there's at least a shadow of a doubt that Wardlow retains. And I think that's objectively a good thing. Yeah. Hobbs could win. I think Uh, it might actually be good. I don't know. I feel like what we've got recently is that uh, Wardlow hasn't, I don't know. He's lost some steam and Maybe getting him away from that championship might help with that. I don't know. But, yeah. Yeah, it's... Who knows at this point with Wardlow? Um, They obviously had a Goldberg-esque build to him winning that title. But in a similar vein of WCW, they haven't done a lot. And I think it's more so on circumstance for Wardlow than just poor booking, which is what they had with Goldberg. And obviously WCW had circumstance too, but... It feels like there's a lot more meat on the bones what they could be doing with Wardlow, and they're just not doing it at this point for whatever reason. Yeah, basically. Yeah. So let's get into Rampage. The I will say, and you mentioned it to me pre-show, Mike Tyson was very good on commentary. Yeah, he was enjoyable. I don't know if I'd want Mike Tyson for every match, but for this match, Mike Tyson was a a, a really good guest commentator. He was engaged. He knew a lot. He knew about the product. He knew about wrestling. He called it an STO unprompted. I mean, hell. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he, I think he knew who Shibata was, which I would not have necessarily have expected from Mike Tyson. Uh, he was really into Orange Cassidy, obviously. I thought he did a, a pretty damn good job here. Yeah, I, I thought Mike Tyson was, you could tell you wanted to be there. And I think with guest commentators, sometimes that's the big difference. Yeah. Uh, those who want to be there tend to be doing a better job than those who are just doing it for money. Like, you could tell Mike Tyson was, one, excited to be back in Atlantic City where he had a few of his big fights. And two, he, like you said, he seemed to really like the product. And I thought yeah. it was a lot of fun. And JR was his normal grumpy self. JR opened the show by calling it Dynamite, which, I mean, <laughs> just a simple mistake. But still, it's very JR. Um, and it feels like he always makes several mistakes a week that sort and then when mike tyson was being super excited and talking over everyone i feel like jr got kind of passive aggressive with him by uh like kind of repeating some of what uh, mike tyson said mockingly i feel like um i don't know it was very weird uh just in general just uh, i don't know i think that maybe he was annoyed that he was being talked over by mike tyson which i mean frankly in my opinion if you're there with a guest commentator that caliber you know, from outside the company, part of your job is to try to 
work with what they're what they are giving you and kind of steer around that and try to steer that as best as you can and it felt like jr was just kind of annoyed by having to do that job uh but the match itself i thought was good um i you know i don't think it was like an all-timer um i think but I think that for like Shibata's first real match back as a professional wrestler, it was damn good. I thought he looked great. Uh, I don't think, you know, just from what I saw in the ring, I don't think there's any concern to have regarding his health status. You know, medical stuff is a different issue, but just from what I could see on screen. Uh, one thing that I think was kind of unfortunate is that uh, Shibata definitely wanted to do the spot where he takes seated kicks and then gets up like a badass, and Orange Cassidy just does not give good seated ki- kicks to people. Um, that part looked a little rough, but regardless of that, I thought overall, damn good match. Three and three quarters. Yeah, I gave it four. Um, I thought it was really important, Fred, that Shibata took legit head bumps. Yes. And this is this is a man who had a brain hematoma, who had his brain actually outside of his skull. Uh, no, he didn't. He, no, oh, there's no way. Did. Well, Meltzer said that if your brain is outside of your skull, you're dead. That's not yeah. like something you do during surgery. <laughs> yeah. So you, your your brain stays in the skull pan. Okay. Well, I stand corrected. Well, Lucky was absolutely brutal. And the man almost died. And now he's taking bumps on his head a shade over five years later. Lucky. Yeah. I think this might be a Brian Danielson situation where WWE says, no, I'm not clearing you. AW's like, yep, sure. Uh, I don't, I think that's a little oversimplistic. Um, Obviously you go to 10 different doctors with this exact situation. You're probably going to get quite a few different answers that arrive at similar conclusions. So obviously a lot of people have said that Shibata can go. So he's going to go and look, if he's, if the doctors are right and he's not, putting himself in any like kind of extra danger by going out there hell yeah give me more shibata yeah definitely i i'm not basing this off of anything this is just me thinking out loud because uh, i'm sure that AEW is doing their due diligence with medical exams for people like shibata brian danielson uh you know soraya uh, but they have had a number of people come in that were considered medically retired for a long time and then as soon as they came to AEW, they were cleared um, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm, this is not an accusation of any sort. I'm just saying out loud that I really do hope that they're doing their due diligence and clearing these people. Mm-hmm. I would have to think that they are, but it's just a thought I had. No, it's a, it's an important one because anybody can go out and say, yeah, you can wrestle for me, but it's not quite that simple when you're putting lives on the line. Yeah. And I, I hope that they are doing everything that they can to make sure that these, um, these individuals are being taken care of. And I, I don't have any reason to believe that they're doing anything wrong. So yeah. we're going to, we're going to kind of go with that. Um, the next match on rampage, Dr. Britt Baker, DMD and Jamie Hayter um, beating Madison rain and sky blue. Um, this was fine. Yeah. This was bog standard average, like right middle of the road, two stars. I thought, Hey, you know what? That sounds like a five-star match for Madison rain. So we'll take it. Yeah, I was not excited when this was announced, and I actually was like really anticipating something bad, and it was perfectly acceptable. Nothing wrong with it. Mm-hmm. I do like that uh, we're going to get Hater and Tony Storm. Um, I think one that could be tremendous, and two, I think it'd be smart to take the title off of Storm and put it yeah. on Jamie Hater because one, Hater's red hot. Two, I like Storm, but she hasn't really 
done anything for me as champion as far as get me excited about the product, get me really excited about her like like title matches. She's done a great job with the title. But yeah. I think Hater in advancing that storyline with Britt Baker and accelerating them splitting up, I think could be really good for the division. And then once Hater separates herself, then you get Britt Baker and Soraya, and then maybe Soraya ends up going for the title. Like, there's a lot of meat on the bone with this, and I think there's more meat on it than what there is right now with Tony Storm. And that's not to say Tony Storm can't have a good title reign later. I just think what her title reign has become has run its course. Um, and then I, I think it's Hater's time. I agree. I think there's more you can do with Hater as champion than Storm. That's not an indictment of Storm. I think Storm's done a damn good job as champion. She's having very solid matches every time out there. And uh, I think she's represented it well and everything. I just think that uh, it feels like there's a, a groundswell for Hater, and you need to take advantage of that when you can. I agree 100%. Um, next up on Rampage, we had Absolute Ricky Starks in the ring. He... Um, he talks about how people are begging for him to be on TV. Um, and then talks about how he's put in the work and he's one of the pillars. Um, and he wants put in his name into the eliminator tournament. And there we go. Yep. There was a back. promo. It was solid. Um, it didn't like build anything major or anything, but I thought it was fine. Uh, like as far as structurally and he's got a lot of charisma. Uh, the crowd wants him to do well. So, Hopefully, I don't know if they're going to have him win the tournament because, as we talked about, Ethan Page already. But, you know, you definitely have to think that he is going to be a major factor going forward. So, Oh, I, 100%. Oh, excuse me. Um, shortly after that, Sammy Guevara uh, challenged the American Dragon, Brian Danielson, to two out of three falls on Dynamite. Feels like two out of three falls is going to become Brian Danielson's match here, Fred. And yeah, I I think it could be really good. Even though I will like, I was a little disappointed in their match last week. Yeah, it was a solid match. I mean, it was a good match. I thought it was actually. I forget. I think I gave it four stars. I was kind of hoping for more, but I think my complaint at the time was that it felt like they were trying to work a twenty-five minute match and they got fourteen, or whatever it was, and. I'm assuming from a best uh, two out of three falls, because this is a CMLL, that they will not just blow through the first two falls to get them out of the way because they don't actually want to do it. Um, I think that there's a real potential that this could be a, a high-level match for AEW. Not like a match of the year contender, but like a AEW free television match of the year contender. Slap a couple yeah. qualifiers on there. Yeah. I, I feel that completely. Um, and then we'll we'll talk about like uh, best dynamite matches here in a little bit. Um, main event time. Warjo takes on the Gates of Agony. And you get Wardlow winning with the Powerbomb Symphony. Getting uh, powerbombing Khan uh, four times. Um, and then you have Powerhouse Hobbs coming out of the ramp and taunting Wardlow. Motions that he wants the belt. I thought this was fine. It was a good match, and you got the best of Ward Joe. And... Yeah, and you got the tease that there's dissension coming on uh, the Ward Joe team because Wardlow to stare down Hobbs shoved Samoa Joe out of the way, and his reaction was basically, what the hell was that? Um, so, you know, we may build to something between those two, and that could be a lot of fun. Um but yeah, I thought this was a very, I mean, by this recent standards of Rampage, it was Citizen Kane. I thought it was a good hour of wrestling. Um, we got a, 
a pretty darn good match. We got a solid main event. We got a decent women's match, and we got some pretty good promos. I liked a lot of the backstage promos we didn't talk about, uh, and I also liked the the kind of show long storyline setting up the uh, Chris Jericho, Danielson, Guevara, and Claudio four way. Like we had three different segments setting that up, and I kind of liked how those flowed. So, yeah. Um, overall, this is a pretty good rampage. It would have been yeah. nice if they had loaded it up just a little bit more, especially with the inclusion of Mike Tyson. Um, because as great as a match as the Cassidy Shibata versus Orange Cassidy is for us, I don't necessarily know if doing that on two days bill was a really smart move on AEW's part. At, that might have been something where you have Shibata debut last week, and then you could potentially get because they only put like what 2,500 people in this building and something they had like a that. capacity of like uh, of like five. Like yeah. you might have been able to sell like 500 to 2,000 tickets anywhere in that range because you're getting a live Shabbata match. Yeah, I assume part of it may have been time restraints, though. I think Meltzer said that they have been planning this match since back at Forbidden Door, um, but maybe it was just an you know accessibility to Shabbata issue. Uh, but ideally, yes, they would have uh, done more build with this. But yeah, uh, there's the. Those are the shows this week. Uh, I didn't get a chance to check out anything that happened on the YouTube shows outside of Hey EW, which was with Excalibur mm-hmm. this week. Uh, Excalibur broke several times while talking with uh, RJ City. It was pretty fun. Yeah. All right. Um, let's let's kind of uh, give a quick synopsis of what Full Gear looks like right now, Fred. Um, officially announced, you have John Moxie versus MJF for the EW title. The Acclaimed versus Swerve Strickland and Keith Lee for the tag titles. Tony Storm versus Jamie Hayter for the interim world's title. Notice that, and we talked about Thunder Rosa potentially coming back in January last week, that that could easily be um, decided at that point. Um, s- some stuff that has been teased is um, Death Triangle um, versus the Elite for the trios titles. Um Dave has heard this is probable, but not 100%. Jericho versus Claudio Castagnoli for the ROH title. Daniel Garcia, Wheeler Yuta for the pure title. Wardlow versus Powerhouse Hobbs for the TNT title. Jade versus Nyla Rose for the TBS. FTR versus the Gun Club. Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal versus Sting and Darby Allen. Jungle Boy versus Luchasaurus and Britt Baker versus Soraya. We don't know if all of those are going to happen. But that is kind of the direction, and you see the connective tissue with all of those matches being a thing. Look, Full Gear looks like it could be a really good pay-per-view. It could be. Uh, I think that it has the potential to be a great one, uh, but that list is uh, really solid. Uh, several great matches on there that I would be excited to watch. Uh, I hope that the show itself, including the pre-show, is not 11 matches, which is how many you uh, listed off there. Mm-hmm. Because I think that'd be about three too many, but you know, AEW does like to pack their shows with wrestling. So, yeah, yeah, and they're still trying to build a tape library for that eventual streaming service. And the more matches you have now, the easier it is to sell. Like, oh, we have this, 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 and this, and that's one of the reasons why AEW Dark is such a big thing. Yeah, um, for sure. Uh, I just, you know, I just do worry that this is going to be too long and that by the time the main event comes out that I'll be tired because I'm old and broken and that yeah. that'll also be a fair chunk of the crowd. But Fred, I feel, that I feel that 100%. Um, let's let's talk about this here real quick, Fred. Um, prediction. 
Like, give me your um, best guess. When does the Elite come back to AWTV? Uh, I think it will it, be... What is the date on Full Gear? The 19th? Well, yep. my guess would have been two Dynamites before, which would be tomorrow. Uh, I kind of think it'll be the... It might be Full Gear itself or the Dynamite leading up to it. I don't think it'll be uh, this Wednesday. I think it's going to end up being the Dynamite leading up to it just so they can at least say, hey, they are officially back, and boom, there's going to be a match. Because let's be honest, MJF is selling this pay-per-view. People are going to buy it to watch MJF potentially win the title. Yeah. Having an undercard with the Elite coming back, I think is a tremendous asset to selling it. But I, I, it could be the tipping point for some people. So I think doing it on the Dynamite before would make more sense than teasing it coming into the show. Uh, I, I agree with your reasoning. I feel like the timing they've laid out indicates more to me, just in my sense of time for the angle, that they might have their comeback be at the Winter is Coming Dynamite. That okay. They might have like the actual match, uh, that their return could be on full gear or maybe the dynamite after, uh, to start building towards that show. But yeah, I mean, uh, different answers as to how you could do it. And I don't know if there's necessarily a wrong one. That's very fair. Um, look, Fred, that's our show. We that's are, it. we are sitting pretty going into tomorrow's dynamite and the, the only thing that I can recall that's been announced is that eight-man tag we talked about earlier, Swerve and our glory in the Gun Club versus Acclaimed and FTR. Um, I'm assuming we're going to get more um, later today as we record this and then even tomorrow um, before the show. Um, what I've noticed is that when there's a lot of story-heavy dynamite stuff, they usually follow it up with a great wrestling show, and I think that's probably what we're going to end up getting tomorrow. Yeah, uh, what they... Okay, up on their Twitter right now, what they have announced is the eight-man tag you just mentioned. Uh, Brian Danielson versus Sammy Guevara. Uh, oh, yeah, we best. talked about that. Duh. Yeah. Uh, uh, the Eddie Kingston-Ethan Page uh, world title eliminator, which I expect Page will win. Uh, and also, it'll play into the Eddie Kingston uh, losing his mind gimmick uh, storyline we're going to have going. Uh, Sky Blue versus Jamie Hayter, uh, which will make some people very happy. Uh, we have Britt Baker and Soraya having a face-to-face confrontation, which could be very interesting. Uh, and then we also have John Moxley pr- doing a promo. And also, uh, there will be an MJF segment. You know, uh, we didn't talk about this earlier in the show, so let's hit it right now. This World Title Eliminator Tournament, you mentioned the first match will be on Dynamite, Eddie Kingston versus Ethan Page. And then Rampage next week is going to have three of them. Lance Archer versus Ricky Starks which is going to be a really nice dichotomy of styles. Bandito versus Roosh, which has a chance to really kick ass. And Brian Cage versus Dante Martin. Brian Cage and Dante could be a lot of fun, but I get a feeling from that one that there's a decent chance it's going to be like a three-minute squash for Cage. Um, I'm not saying that's what I want to see. I think there's a damn good argument that Dante Martin uh, and him could have a really good match and that we should see Dante Martin have a good performance because it's been a little bit since that happened. Mm-hmm. And I think that where he is, he's kind of a prospect for them. I mean, he is a prospect for him right now. Uh, yeah. Just having him be able to show out some will help keep him uh, keep some momentum with him. Because I think he's really cooled off uh, over the past couple months in particular. 
Uh, but I do think there's a chance that they'll just be like, we got to keep Brian Cage strong. Um, so it's two minute squash, but we'll yeah. see. Those other two matches could be really fun. I mean, Lance Archer is very good. Um, yeah. And it's a shame that we don't get him on AWTV more often. I think mainly because Tony Khan doesn't want to beat him. And if he's not doing anything currently with Lance Archer, then he doesn't want to beat him. No, 100%. And the one interesting thing about the potential semifinal matchup, Ricky Starks versus Brian Cage could end up being, one, really good. Two, there's a lot of history between oh, those yeah. two. That'll be layered throughout the match. Look, we're in a very interesting part of the dynam- or the AEW calendar right now because not only do we have uh, full gear, they're going to transition right into Winter is Coming, which in itself is their biggest TV special style pay-per-view of the year. Yep. Um, and also, I can only hope with Brian Cage and Ricky Starks that I don't think they will be, but that they'll be in Philadelphia uh, because that was one of the greatest wrestling tweets I've ever seen when Brian Cage tweeted, where's the Philadelphia street fight going to be? And Ricky Starks responded, in Philadelphia, you dumb bitch. <laughs> tremendous. Absolutely tremendous. Well, Fred, that is our show here today. Um, look, this is a fun time for EW, and I'm excited yeah. to see where all this ends up. Yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of the Dynamite, but uh, there's a lot of good stuff coming up. I thought Rampage was pretty darn good. And uh, yeah, we will definitely, uh, it'll be interesting to see where we go from here. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. Um, You can find us on Twitter at GoodBadHungy, just as it is spelled on the show graphic. You can email us at at HungyPod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at TheRealForno. You can find... uh, uh, Fred on Twitter at flagrant wrestling. Uh, make sure that you like subscribe rate and review our podcast. Give us those five stars so you can help us in the ever so evil algorithm and help us continue to grow this awesome show. And I think that's it. Yeah. Like us, subscribe us, uh, tell your friends, follow us, whatever. Feel free to send us any questions you have because we will answer them on the show. You can um, send it via email twitter or in our channel on the voices of wrestling um, discord and we will make sure we get to them in the meantime take it easy everyone have a good week bet mgm has an unreal deal for sports fans in virginia turn five dollars into 150 dollars instantly when you place your first wager at bet mgm simply download the bet mgm app and sign up using code champion 150 then Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. 
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hey kids, do you like wrestling? Well, we like wrestling too. We are Shake Them Ropes here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Myself and Chris Novembrino kind of doing a lazy river of wrestling criticism, going through the news and whatever happened in stateside television wrestling. And also, you know what? Sometimes we just like to watch old stuff and talk about that too. Love for you to give us a listen. If you haven't already, we are Shake Them Ropes here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. <laughs> 